Hey, you got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, and you're listening to the Everyday Sniper. How'd you like that uh, episode with David Tubb? Some really good information there. Uh, great response, great feedback from everybody posting. Uh, it, it's funny how people, you know, the the, the uh, they think he's arrogant, you know, when they've heard him in the past. But then when you kind of put it into the context, which I tried to do with people, they're like, wow. He really is ahead of his time and coming off, you know, so much better than if you listen to him and, and you don't kind of like square the circle. And so it's not arrogance, man. It's, it, this is the guy's job. This is what he does. And it's it's just amazing to see everybody respond to the podcast that way. Um, really good stuff happening there. He, he's really dropping a lot of knowledge bombs. I mean, David's just so ahead of his time. Because his accuracy is that quarter minute plus, you know, he's sub quarter minute kind of guy. He sees this so much faster than most of us. And so he's constantly chasing that precision, that accuracy. And, you know, like he says, it really comes down. Do you do your homework? Have you done the homework to really fine tune and finesse your accuracy, or is it just a case of bang, get the hit? Bang, who cares? I touch the steel. That that's the mentality where it's am I on the line? What's my vertical spread? What's all this information versus did I just touch the plate? And and you know, um that that's a great thing. And that was that was the awesome part about the Precision Rifle Expo. And I'm gonna do a after action for that Precision Rifle Expo. I think Phil Cashin, uh, Brandon Zielinski, Ryan Castle, um, uh, Mark from Accurate Ordinance, those guys did a fantastic job. I mean, number one, putting this together, it, it, it's it's definitely forward thinking in bringing you know the most popular precision rifle companies together, bringing that training together, making it affordable, the twenty five bucks for people to see classes. The response we had from the classes, I mean, I'm up on the firing line. I'm up on the classes. I wasn't in the tent that much. I bounced in there a little bit. Uh, You know, I did three classes the first day, two classes the second day, so five total. And I I averaged about 30 students per class. Uh, So, you know, I saw 150 people that weekend. When, you know, when I was done around that lunchtime, I just went straight over to lunch Soon as lunch was over, I had my next class, and, and so I didn't get into the tent that much. But there were some really great companies there. I mean, you know, if I go down that end, it was like Peterson Brass, it was Manners, and then Gap. Uh, I saw Collis, Shirovsky, McMillan, Masterpiece. Uh, of course, had their stuff. Magneto Speed, Area Four Nineteen, Schmidt and Bender, Kestrel. All those guys were in the tent, and yeah, I'll get into some of the stuff with the heat. I mean. Weather-wise, that was that was number one difficulty. Okay, we had the hurricane in the area. Uh, Florence is right there, North Carolina, South Carolina. The roads were shut down. The flooding was the biggest issue uh, with the hurricane. So a lot of people could not travel south to Blakely, Georgia. But I flew into Atlanta. Weather was crystal clear. Got my car, two-hour drive down from Atlanta to Blakely, Georgia. They had cabins and everything, that arena training facility. It was my first time on arena. The, the layout worked out really well for everybody. 
Um, you know, so that was good. And then I stayed not in the cabins on Arena, but I stayed at the White Oak Pasture uh, cabins. I had a, a like a lake around me. I was on this peninsula with a dock, and there was water on three sides. You know, so it was kind of a cool, but it was a nice cabin that, that Phil and those guys put me up in. But it, it went real well. You know, they had food trucks there for everybody. Um, it was laid out with the big tent. I guess there was a bit of a bait and switch on the tent. They had ordered this big circus tent and they had like two giant generators for air conditioning, but it ended up coming like with this wedding tent with some holes in it and it didn't hold the air conditioning well. So temperatures in the tent got up pretty bad and I know I know they were they were bummed about that. Now, I had a tent with no sides, a canopy for the students, uh Emil as well, Emil Praslick was next to me. So we were on the left end. In the center, you had like Leopold doing live fire with their, their Mark V stuff. Got to talk with JR and all those guys. Fuzz got niche. Right then, you know, we had Masterpiece. There was some PRSE stuff, uh, Accurate Ordnance, Bushnell. David Tubb was up in there. And then when you went down and around the corner, there was a 2,400-yard uh, area, their UKD range, and Robert Brantley, uh, Laura Elizabeth, and uh, Manners had their rifle there, and they let people shoot Robert Brantley's 416 that he won King of Two Mile with. You got to get on the gun and shoot at 2400. I mean, people were coming back and crowing about the fact that they got to hit 2400. And it was the first 50 people, I think, that signed up, got to shoot Robert Brantley's rifle. I mean, where else are you going to go hands-on? When we looked at this versus SHOT Show, number one, SHOT Show's not open to the public. This is. Number two, you can sell stuff. I know Tom Fuller was there with Armageddon gear. He had to call his wife and get more nylon because he sold out on the first day to have it available to people who came the second day. So, I mean, you know, that's a big plus where... Talking to guys who were in the tent and who go to SHOT Show, um, just one example is Kelby. They were telling me they're not going to do a booth at SHOT Show because they don't have dealers and people don't come through. And while they're interacting with their customers on one end, they're not really making the sales at SHOT because it's not the right market for them. It's not the right venue where the Precision Rifle Expo, this was an awesome venue for people. I mean, you know, nobody can control the weather. It was 95 degrees with like 100% humidity is what it felt like to me. I'm used to Colorado here where 30 is a bad day. You know, when I got there, I was, you know, completely soaked in all that with the humidity. But the temp and being on the range and being on the firing line, I didn't have direct sun on me because of the canopy. And the wind was blowing. We had about a six, eight mile an hour wind. I felt comfortable. I was fine. That's our job. We're on the line. I felt really good as far as how I felt, you know what I mean, uh, temperature wise. When I went in the tent the one time and I talked to Katie Gottfried from Kestrel, she's like, you know, the negative side of having a Kestrel in your hand, I can see that the heat index in the tent and when she fired it up for me was 108 degrees. That was tough, man. And But you can't blame them. Like I said, a tent bait and switch. The AC was there and running. It just wasn't being held into the tent. They, they, they did all those things, but the tent was the wrong kind 
for those conditions. You know, which they'll adjust. Uh, you know, they'll make the adjustment. That's the first time. You you know, you don't expect mid-September to be 95 degrees like that with that humidity and stuff. But getting into my class side of things, I mean, the feedback I got from my class was super positive. All I did is I broke down the fundamentals to the millisecond and the fraction of an inch. I did the five fundamentals. I talked about recoil management, and I talked about your position in bipod. It was in an hour and a half. So five fundamentals in those two other elements, I used an hour and a half to break them down. You know what I mean? So I went into detail that very few have. And people came to me and said, dude, this was a fire hose of information. I never realized this because most people flop down, take the shot, they hit or miss. And, they, and they're either mimicking or doing what they think they're supposed to be doing. Our rifles are so good. Our ammo is so good. Our scopes are so good. You know what I mean? Hitting the target is not difficult. Here we have this 8 to 10 mile an hour wind, whatever the case, whatever it was, and guys are holding half mil left wind at 1,000 yards. Go back in time, which are 308, that's a two and a half to three mil hold back in the day. You know what I mean? Just going back 10 years, we're holding three mils to hit a thousand yard target. Now I'm holding half a mil, you know, under similar conditions. And, and it, it, it's really amazing. Then right next to me, 15 feet away, you got Emil Praslick from AMU, AB fame, works for Berger and Lapua now. He's doing his wind class. He's doing an hour and a half on how to dope the wind and his experience with the wind. He's breaking it down with all his time in the military and all his time coaching these teams. Hey, he breaks it down to one mile an hour. He's looking at this and your 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 angle is so important. Your cosine to the target. You know, are you vectoring that? That becomes a big degree. And you know, further down, like I said, you you got the guys, you want to shoot a Leopold scope. You don't have that. What is a Mark V like? Well, there's four of them there. Get to shoot them. You know, hey, I never felt a Masterpiece Arms chassis. What does that feel like? Well, it's right there. You know, Bushnell scopes, they're right there. Hey, I want to try that Game Changer bag. Tom Fuller's got them. He's right there. There's barricades or stuff set up. You had Tyler Payne. Uh, doing, you know, intros to alternate positions in PRS events. You had essentials for for how to uh, attend these matches and what you're going to learn. All of it in one place. And the guys who took my class, or took all the classes, because they staggered them. You could take all of them. $25. This was fantastic. And the food, okay? Chicken sandwiches, you know, grilled chicken sandwiches with real chicken and stuff like that. Uh, barbecue sandwiches. They had a barbecue bag lunch for $5, okay? You had a bag of chips, a barbecue sandwich, you go get a drink. It was like 5 bucks, you know, $3 for just a sandwich. Um, you know, they had hamburgers, hot dogs, those kind of things. Uh, all right there, accessible to everybody, really inexpensive. So... I, I, I think from that perspective, this was a success. 
this was something to look at. Then you got to catch up with everybody. I mean, we had fun. We didn't go anywhere. They, they had food for, like, the vendors and, gut and stuff at the end of the night. Because Blakely, Georgia, let's face it, there ain't shit there. Guys who wanted to eat anything worth a damn, they were looking at, at like, a 45-minute ride to Alabama, Dolther, or whatever the fuck it's called. Um, someplace in Alabama, I guess, is where most people were going to eat. You know, but there's Blakely and there's small stuff in there. But otherwise, they had food there and we stayed there, had some beers, told stories, told lies, brought up some stuff over the last... 15 years of all of us doing this and reminiscing and just sitting around and it was a good deal you know I left my cabin at 7 in the morning I didn't get back to my cabin till 10 at night you know until the chiggers and mosquitoes started eating us up and 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 the bitch was you know it was still 85 degrees at 10 o'clock at night so you want to kind of get back and get to the air conditioning and enjoy that kind of stuff but I I mean thank you to all the, the 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 students and the guys who came out who came to the class? I, I like I said, I, I know I was I was full for most of them. People are saying, "Hey, I couldn't get in," but you can get in. You could just roll right in the way it was. There was people who didn't come because of the weather, so there was a few empty seats popped here and there. Every now and then, there'd be a conflict with a class. You know, I have like a half hour overlap with a class next to me, so those guys would come late or come over and then come back early the next day. But everybody got to experience it for a little tiny bit of money. It was hardly anything, you know, pennies on the dollar. And, and I think that's a really, really cool thing that they did. Um, from, from my perspective, it went flawless. I, I got nothing to complain about. I got nothing to say. Everything was good. Uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a fun, fun time uh, that we were there. And, and we got to answer some questions. And... You know, you get the questions. It's funny because we're doing this marksmanship stuff. And the main questions are, well, what's your favorite round? If 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 mom only gave you one and, you know, what's your your your, your only favorite go-to round? And that's a tough question to answer, but you know, at the I kind of like looking at it. Okay, if I only can have one rifle, it's my accuracy international AX. So I'm taking the AX. If I only can have one caliber. I'm taking my 260. I'm going to try to balance barrel life. Yeah, I can't run around now. You know, the answer may be 308 because I can get it anywhere. You know, but it wasn't a case of zombie apocalypse. You don't know what you're going to find. It was a case of, you know, you only can have one. Well, they didn't say you only can have one with the caveats of limited access. To me, I want my 260. You know, that's my only one. Now, would I complain if that 260 was a 6.5 Creedmoor? Not so much. I don't care. It could be one or the other. But asking me what I want, I want my AX and I want my left-hand gain twist 260 barrel on it and I'm a happy camper and that's what I'm going to go with. And it's funny too because like George, Brian Sykes and those guys came up to me. They've been shooting a little bit of that left-hand stuff and they're starting to notice it. And Brian was like, hey, you know, I'm noticing some difference in that left-hand twist. I'm noticing a little better recoil pulse. I'm noticing the rifle stays on target a little better. Then you add in the gain twist where it loves a variety of bullets. It's not weight-dependent anymore. I can shoot the 130, 136, 140, 123. The gun don't care. It hammers them. You know what I'm saying? So you got that kind of stuff going on. And I think that's cool, man. Yeah, people asking that kind of stuff. Here's the deal, guys. Don't chase gear like that. You know, don't be like, well, what? Because it, it, one guy kept coming up. One guy came up several times. 
And he's like, what about this rifle A or rifle B? Scope A or scope C? Bullet A or bullet D? It's like, why do you care what my favorite color is? Dude, pick it yourself. Well, why the AI? Because it's the holy grail of rifles. Because it's all over the world. It's the one I like. That's my favorite rifle. To somebody else, it might be something else. They might want an MPA in a chassis with a, with a straight taper barrel and six dasher. I get it. That's their thing. But it's it's it still amazes me how many people are chasing gear still. You know, let's bring it back to chasing training. When I dropped the, the information and I broke down, you know, the fundamentals into, like I said, milliseconds in fractions of an inch, these guys' eyes were like, wow, I never would have imagined the fundamentals have so much bearing. I mean, just talking about time, like Jacob brought this up years ago and he, he really never wanted to release it and we really never did, okay? It, it didn't come out in the detail that I put it out there during the class, but this was something we came up down at Rifles Only and, and, and it is another Jacobism, man. There's a, there's a ton of them. Uh, you know, he, the, the guy really does not get the credit he deserves when it comes to modern marksmanship and what we're doing, the 90-degree trigger finger, the straight back behind the rifle, all the little things that other people are doing that originated down in South Texas there. And one of them is time. And talking about the rifle where the trigger is the start button, not the stop button, okay? You're turning the machine on. And you think about and I see this all the time. I see it in the fundamental eval constantly. Guys spend so much time lining up the shot. We're going to say five-shot group. You're going to lay down on command. Give me a five-shot group. Lay down, and you're lining up the shot. And you take that first shot, and we already know you got bad trigger control. You're not following through. You're tapping the trigger, the whole thing. And it's not going exactly where you want it. Let's say even if it's may even be just a quarter of an inch off of perfect. But in your mind, looking through a 25 power scope, it's not where you expected it to go. Now guys will start chasing it a little bit. And they're not holding it. And they think, well, wait a minute. Because it's wiggled, because it's moved, because it's deviated, what's the next thing I need to do to fix it? I'm going to hold my breath. Because I got to get steady. I must be moving. Let's get steadier. So they start holding their breath. And I got pictures in my PowerPoint of guys with the veins coming out of the side of their head. I'll see a guy hold their breath for like four out of the five shots. And I'll pull my phone out and take a picture of their face. And the veins are popping out. Their face is getting red. Their lips are pursed. Their eyes are fluttering. You know, breathing's a fundamental. You have to breathe. Okay? Well... So there's that problem that's going on. And then what happens is they're getting into it and they're struggling so much to line this shot up. When the shot breaks, they disconnect from the rifle. They disengage from the shot. They take their head out of the scope. They come off their cheek. They run the bolt because no consistent cheek weld. They're lifting their head. Big no-no. Keep your head on the stock. All that stuff that they're not doing, right? You know, we got, this is what's happening. So... Then, you know, they're trying to do it, they're not steady, and they're making it worse because for every shot, they're holding their breath a little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer, and they're getting out of breath. 
the shots aren't going right. So now what should be a three-eighths inch group or a half-minute group is now five-eighths to three-quarter. Okay? When that vertical spread starts coming in, it's because you're breaking at different points in your breathing cycle. You're probably holding your breath. You're probably messing around with your breathing, trying to find this happy, steady, using your breath to aim because people will, will inhale, exhale, and they'll let the reticle line up with their, with their body and breath versus ad- properly adjusting with the bag. You know, they see their heart beating. They got two big balloons in their chest doing all kinds of stuff. You know, then the trigger control, lack of follow-through. It's funny, I brought up just before, like the day before. This is a funny story. So the day before, I, I'm, I'm flying to uh, Georgia. Uh, Kim comes over and she's like, hey, uh, Twitter, because she has that tweet bot or whatever. So she's on Twitter uh, pretty good. And she's like, Phil Mickelson's talking about golfer, right? Golfer, Phil Mickelson. He, he's talking about sniper training that he's doing. Uh, apparently, what uh, which uh, the story will, will go into uh, the weekend because it continues. So Phil Mickelson has this picture, a little video, a little couple second video, close up of his face and all this, where he's shooting a 6.5 Creed more in California and he's doing sniper training. Now, somebody told me he'll grab some jarheads or something and go shoot on some range and bring some active duty guys over or something like that. Um, a bunch of these guys like that kind of stuff, you know, they, they get to, they get to touch a real, a real Marine and, and shoot alongside them. So Phil does this video and what is the friggin', what does he do when he breaks the shot, taps the trigger and doesn't follow through? It looked like he probably had like a jewel trigger on there, custom stick. He, I'm sure he's got bank. And as soon as he breaks the shot, he taps the trigger, but he pulls his head off the rifle, no follow through. And he looks over and he's like, hit the target. Yeah, whatever, however far he's shooting it. He just touched steel, right? So in this class, I'm talking to guys and I said, listen, I'm a golfer. I, You know, natural point of aim. Think about the fundamentals and we're going to go to golf, okay? Anybody out there golfing? So I address the ball. The ball's down on the tee. I'm getting ready. I got my driver out. I'm going to set up my natural point of aim because I have to hit the ball in the direction I need to hit it, right? So I line my body position up to go and address the ball. So now I line it up. I make sure I'm good. Well, now I got to do my sight alignment, sight picture. So I make sure that angle of the club and everything is good. I make sure that the club is going to squarely contact the ball. Natural point of aim set, my two feet. I do a little mini shuffle to get my direction right. I then test to see where the, the, the mallet, the, the, the club, my Callaway, whatever the heck the case may be, is going to address the ball. Make sure I'm square. So sight alignment, sight picture. Now the trigger control is I come back and I release, right? So I bring my swing back. Then I release, which is dropping the firing pin. I release to hit the ball. Firing pin hits the primer. Callaway club hits the ball. What's the next thing I do, folks? Follow through. Follow through with my stroke. Right? Hit through the ball and follow through. What's Phil Mickelson doing? Not following through. So in a little demo in the class, I said, talking about Phil, talking about his lack of follow-through. 
I pretend I got a ball and a club in my hand. I'm ghost. I'm ghost golfing. I'm a ghost golfer. I'm excellent ghost golfer. I got a. I got a really low handicap. You know, I think I shoot like a 72, whatever the case may be. So I'm ghost golfing. And what I do is as soon as I go to the point where I hit the ball, I just stop and let go and kind of drop my shoulders. I don't follow through. If I went to a pro golfer and said, Phil, I'm going to pay you to teach me golfing. Number one, he's probably going to charge me a fucking metric ton. Number two, if, if he said, let me see your golf swing and... I wound up, and as soon as I hit the ball, I stopped and kind of disengaged from the stroke. The follow-through stops, none of that. He would jump in my ass. So get this Phil Mickelson video. I bring it up in the class. It's It's relevant. It's timely. Here was my response when I saw it on Twitter. I responded, hey, Phil. Follow through is a fundamental of marksmanship. If you need a hand with that, give me a call. Sniper's hide, you know, that kind of thing. Of course, he'll never answer me. Well, come to find out in the class, one of them, like my second or third class, I forget which one it was, there was a guy who works for the PGA who knows all of them and is on that. And he's like, oh, let me tell you, he starts dishing some dirt. I said, yeah, I'm not about that. I'm just letting you know. He goes, he'll never answer you. He'll never do this. And it's like, oh, I know he won't. You know, he answered a bunch of people who asked him about his rifle. But as soon as you criticize somebody at that level on what they're doing, they're, they're not going anywhere, man. They're not going to answer you. They're not going to reach out to you. It's, it's a done deal right there. Game over. But guys are like, hey, cool gun. Hey, you're the best. Hey, yeah. He'll come on and say, hey, thanks. And he responded to him. He didn't respond to Frank or Sniper side when they said follow through is a fundamental. Follow through is a fundamental, guys. Follow through. Think of it as golf. Think of it as anything, any foot. Here, one of the other analogies I brought up. And, and, and I know you, you can take it or leave it however you want to do it. Football season started, right? Do you watch it? Do you not? Do you quit watching it? Whole thing. I get it. I'm not going to get into the politics of it. It's bullshit. But I'm going to make an example of different sports just like golf. Okay? Golf, follow through. Sight alignment, sight picture, natural point of aim. Release the shot, stroke, boom, hit, follow through. Got it. Football. Just on the kickoff. Boom. Kickoff. They send it down. Goes in the end zone. Other team catches it. Guy takes a knee. What do the defenders do? They run through to the end zone. They know he's going to take a knee. They don't stop running. They continue to run. Because if... He catches it, and they're at the 15-yard line, and he takes a knee, and they don't continue to run to the end zone. Their coach is going to jump in their shit, okay? Their coach is going to say to you, what the hell are you doing? Because get down there. You know what I mean? You got to follow through in any sports. Shooting's a sport. Any sport you do, you got to follow through, guys. And so look at that trigger control. Boom, follow through. Look at that trigger control. Boom, follow through. Cool, man. So it was a good event. And uh, popped into Mile High today, coordinated with Mike. Uh, Gary got that stuff. Thank you. Gary got me a, a WTF with an alien sweatshirt. Awesome, dude. I got my key, Gary. I'm going to put it right here on my desk. Thank you for the key. I really appreciate it. I know the story behind Gary's key. If you want to know the story behind Gary's key, go to a Guardian match. 
Guardian matches are fun, man. Guardian matches are no stress, no drama. Raffled prize tables. You know, it, it, it's funny too, and, and I'm not going to get too deep into it, but I did post when I was getting on the plane, I saw Chris Serino. Chris Serino was from Top Shop. I know Chris. Chris used to come down to Rifles Only. Met him before he went to Top Shot. He did some training for the event down there for when he was on. I think he came in Top Shot like second, like three times. But Chris is a really good dude. So Chris is big into handgun, carbine, three-gun kind of stuff. Well-known in the three-gun circles. Well, he made this giant post on Facebook that there's a decline, leveling off, whatever you want to call it, a three-gun. And it mimics and mirrors exactly what we're seeing in Precision Rifle right now. Okay? So everything he posted in regards to three-gun, and a lot of it focused on prize table stuff, sponsorships, things like that, we're where the pros are, what's happening within that that discipline was nearly identical to what I've been saying in the um in the in the in the passion versus payout rant. It was almost identical to the passion versus payout. So I reshared it and I said, sounds familiar, but when Chris Reno says it, everybody's like, Yay, Chris, thank you. But when Frank says it, it's you know, I get hate mail and I get the phone calls that say, you know, stop Stop framing my conversation that way. And it's like, okay, even though you said it, but I guess you don't want the public to hear it. And, and it's funny because the guys come on and there was good conversation, you know, and and hey, I know it's not personal. I like like Aaron Hip and stuff. I still I get it, Aaron. You wrote the letter, whatever. But the deal is I, I, I don't dislike them. We just disagree. Okay, so Aaron comes on and says, you know, giving a prize to somebody is like a participation trophy. or not. But he didn't say it that way. He said it's like no child left behind. But that's not. You know what I mean? It's you're still at the event. You're still attending. The fact that you may only attend one event a year, well, that's your life, man. That's how your, your thing is. It's a hobby to you. It's one thing you want to go shoot the event. Why should you be left out of a prize table? Because you only go to one event. You paid your entrance fee the same amount as anybody else. You went there and say you're the you're a bottom half of the thing. Well, you guys should still get it. And and an interesting thing came up because there are a lot of vendors came on. It's on Facebook. I shared it. There's a lot of I don't want to call guys out because they're getting butt hurt over it. If you mention what they say, they get all upset. Next thing I know, I get phone calls and they start telling me. Remember, you know, stop taking me out. And it's like, well, you said it. I didn't, you know, because he, Aaron did come on and say I was, I was spinning his words. Well, I'm really not. You said it. I didn't. I didn't mention no child left behind. You did. You know, that brings up the whole participation trophy thing. That's not my words. That's their words. So I get it, but I don't want to get into, like I said, it's not personal. I don't dislike these guys. We just disagree on this. That's one element of it. And so talking with vendors and talking with different people, it was interesting because the shooter side of it is I win a AIAT at an event and, you know, there's guys who won more than one and they sell them and all that. And they said, but here's the deal. I'm now selling it at a discount to somebody. So say the AT is 4,500 bucks new. And this guy sells it to make the quick sale for $3,800. Well, that's cool for him because he still made $3,800. Okay? So he feels 
He's selling this $4,500 rifle to somebody who wants it for $3,800. He's doing the donator of the rifle a favor by giving it to somebody who wants it and who will use it. That's the mindset, and that's how they've been telling me they're, they're thinking of. They need to make money going to these matches to go to the next one and the next one and, and to pay for equipment because their sponsors don't cover their bills. I get that. It's expensive. Precision rifle is expensive, period, right? So they made 3800 bucks, and that might get them the two or three more matches, right? But they devalued the AT, okay? They just took a $4,500 rifle and devalued it for that sponsor. They did not do that f- sponsor a favor. They turned around and you got, okay, so so they, they, they do, it, it kind of reminds me of Eddie Murphy's skit. I don't know if you guys ever watch Eddie Murphy's on um, on like show t- or stars this month. Been for like two months, the, uh, the Raw, Eddie Murphy Raw. And he's talking about like Johnny Carson and, and it always reminds me of, of that one skit when he's talking about Johnny Carson losing all his money to his ex-wife. Johnny Carson had $300 million, ex-wife took half. So there's the picture on the acquirer with the wife with the big smile and the money. You know, big Eddie Murphy smile with the money. And Johnny Carson with this kind of sad face with his hands in the air because he lost his money. And I think about the picture of Johnny Carson's wife, the way Eddie Murphy explains it. Big happy smile. Okay, so go to an event. AI puts an AT on the table and say top second place shooter gets it. Second place shooter wins the AT. He walks up. They take a picture with him in front of the little background and the whole thing. He's got his trophy in one hand. He's got the AT in the other. They get a picture that they give to um, AI. Then on Monday morning, he sells it to somebody for 3800 bucks. How in the world is that doing AI a favor? How? You devalued the rifle. Okay? You just took a $4,500 stick and gave it to somebody for 38 35 whatever the case may be, just to make the quick sale. If a Night Force is $2,800 and you sell it for twenty four. You did not do them a favor. They actually lost money on that, okay? Because it, it, it just doesn't work. There's got to be a return on investment. And, and you know, guys are talking about Jim C's event where he's, you know, first place, go to the prize table. Random draw, go to the prize table. Second place, go to the prize table. Random draw, go to the prize table. That's not a bad way of doing it, you know? That does work. But how is that really any different than when Jacob did the top 10 and then brought his ROs in? The top 10 got first pick. Then he brought in his ROs. 50-something place still got a full boat suppressor certificate. Okay? And they complained and wrote the anonymous letter. That how dare you give that? You know, how, the, the, how dare 61st place when Mile High gave the AT by raffle to 61st place? How dare 61st place get a $4,500 rifle when we're investing our time and energy? I trained, I practiced, I came in top 10. Well, I should get that. But that's not the right mentality. Manufacturers need return on investment. Manufacturers are not putting this in the right person's hands. They're putting it in a different person's hands. 
Because if you're already sponsored, if you already have your equipment, well, then it should go to somebody who doesn't. You know, I don't know how to solve this completely, but it has to change. And and here's my, my thinking with it, okay? All I'm thinking about is it's got to be modified from when Jacob and I used to do it. We had $200,000 prize tables at Rifles Only. When Sniper's Hide Cup, Shooter's Bash. Religiously, we had big, giant prize tables. But there was only like four or five matches a year. Last place was guaranteed to go home with $1,000 worth of stuff. Guaranteed. Right? So if you paid $250 to get into the match, you were guaranteed to go home with $1,000 worth of stuff on top of the t-shirt and, and, you know. So if you came in dead last, you still were going to make your money back plus $750 of gear on top of that. That was almost a given. Today, that's not the same thing. There's 50 matches in PRS. There's 20 matches in NRL. There's the Border Roar, this one, that one, the other one. There's all the shooters, you know, 300 or so, with their handout. So now we got 80 match directors asking for something, two series asking for something, and 300, 400 shooters asking the same company for something. Got to modify it, man. I'm not saying that you guys are necessarily wrong. I'm just saying that the model no longer works. It's not 2010 anymore because in 2010, the atmosphere we have today did not exist. PRS came up in 2012. That didn't really get going until 13, 14, 15, right? So let's say 15. So with that five years difference in the way things move in the last three years, it's got to get modified. You, you can't do the same model you always have. That's all I'm saying. Like I said, it's not an ugly thing. It's not, I don't like you and you're doing this. It's just like, hey guys, we got to be smarter. If you want any longevity, if you want this to go down the road and get bigger and better, well, now you got to start modifying and be smarter because what we did in 2010 with our matches is the model you're using today, but it doesn't work. And let me tell you something. It's my model. I'm the one who had the big prize tables. I used to force people. Okay, whether you want to admit it or not, I would say if you want to be a commercial sales on Sniper's Hide, you had to give a price to my match. Holy cow, go figure that. So if you wanted to sell your product and you wanted to be a vendor on my site, and at one point I had like 90 vendors, you had to give a prize too. So instead of me charging you $5,000 to be a vendor, I'm going to charge you $3,000 and I want a prize. That's how I did it. That's how my prize tables got so big. Okay? I don't care who you want to point to. It was Sniper's Hide, Rifles Only, Shooter's Bash, Sniper's Hide Cup. That's where this came from. That's where these giant prize tables came from. That's where this all came from. I think I have a clue as how this is going on. And that's why I'm saying it's got to be modified. The model doesn't work. If 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 it depends, I mean, you're, I, I get it. We use the word pros, but you're not pros. It was just lack of a better word. People said pros. Pros have agents. Pros get paid. Pros don't have to sell off stuff in order to go to the next event. 
or to take the burden away because their sponsors cover that. If 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 you go to an X game guy and he gets a sponsor, that's that's you know, that's a pretty big endorsement. Here's a, here's an idea, man. I understood when 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 uh, Glock. Here's a clue, guys. Okay, here's why I'm saying this. When Glock hired the Gunny, Arlie Ermey there, right? Friggin', you know, Firebase Gloria, uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket, you know, Private Pile, Private Pile, that whole thing. When they hired him, that was a six-figure deal for him to represent Glock. Six figures. I know that for a fact he was getting six figures on that deal. He's a celebrity. Not so much the guys who shoot PRS right now. Okay? You might be a local thing, but it, it that's the deal. They, uh, X-Game guy, uh, go look up the contracts for these guys. I mean, I was just reading yesterday. Stephen Curry with his uh, Under Armour thing, because he was a Nike guy. I just read it yesterday. When he was up and coming... Curry, right? Golden State Warriors. Think about this. We're going to put it in the context of other freaking sports again. He got a $4 million contract for Nike. And he wasn't one of the big guys. Okay, the LeBron Jameses, the the Kobe's and all that guys. Those guys were making much more money. Well, he only had a four-year contract for $4 million because he wasn't well-known. Well, then as he starts up and coming and he's got some really impressive stats happening... Uh, Nike gives him another kind of cheesy ass contract, like another four million bucks. Or actually, it was like two million dollars the first one. The renewal was like four million, and it was so lame that he turned it down because one of the slides had Kevin Durant's name in it. They didn't even change the name in the slide. So as they're doing the presentation to sell him on why he should be a Nike endorsed basketball player and make his four million dollars. And you can read about it online. I read the article, you know, cover to cover yesterday. They had Kevin Durant's name and him and his dad walked away. Now, Nike had the option to match anybody else's bid. So then he goes to Under Armour and Under Armour gives him like 10 million bucks. And when Under Armour signs him, now Golden State Warriors are through the roof. He's doing a hell of a job. His contract comes up again. And Under Armour's like, we got to do something big here. They gave him an ownership share in his contract. He made something like $14 billion for Under Armour. Return on investment. He made $14 billion in Under Armour. That's how much their stock went up. Their stock was at one point, and when it was done, it was a $14 million gain. They made him a part owner in that to keep him. With Under Armour, they paid him. He's he's basically got a billion-dollar contract from Under Armour to wear their sneakers, to be the face of Under Armour. If your sponsor's not doing that, well, you're not a pro. You don't have an agent. So where's the return on investment? This guy made them $14 billion that they attributed to him. Now, they got other contracts, they got a baseball contract, they got a lot of other stuff, but they they rewarded him for that. You got to show a return on investment. That's the only way you're going to move this forward. You can't do the single picture when you take something off a prize table. I get it. 
If you're sponsored by X and you win Y, you just want that one picture and you're gone and you're going to sell it because you're not going to use it because you're sponsored by X. You won Y. You can't use it. But you got to do something for Y. Otherwise, why, why would they give Y? Why would Y give something to that match director? Match director calls up. He's going he's gonna, to, number one, ask you to sponsor. He's going to tell you how many eyeballs he's hoping to put your product in front of. That's why matches got so big. Bigger match, more eyeballs, better option to get more sponsors. Hey, guys, I want you to sponsor my match. I'm going to have 150 people where the one the same weekend down the road is only going to have 80. So who are you going to give to? The one with 150 or the one with 80? Well, why would they give to the 150 over the 80? Eyeballs. Okay? That's one. Then they're going to say, what's your social media strategy with your match? Well, we got a a videographer. We got a photographer. We got, you know, the Tactaholics guy. Whatever the case may be, you're going to put all the pictures out. Precision Rifle Expo, Buck Holly's there taking pictures. Took a hundred and something pictures, puts them all out. Now he's starting to spread them out. The hope is I see the picture of me and then that gets pushed out by me and other things. So I'm going to share it. I'm going to send it to my friend and hopefully my friends are going to share it. See, what you guys don't get is like Sniper's Hide and stuff. I get 5 million views a month. People are on my site an average. Every person is on my site an average of like 8 to 10 minutes a day per session. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's eyeballs. I mean, if you think about how long it takes you to read something in like a Facebook post, think about reading that same post for 8 minutes. Okay, that's eyeballs. That's what people are after. Part of my thing was snipers hide. I have X number of members. I have X number of reach around the world. This many views a month. My match is going to have this many people. And then I'm going to spread it across my platform. Will you give to my event? Well, yeah, because I have eyeballs. There is a return on investment. Talking with the NASCAR guys, like we mentioned, they have a they have a, ser- a service, a system, and I can't think of it off. It's like Jane something or whatever that tells a team how many minutes of TV time they got for their car. They can go look that up. Their car in a in a four hour race on a Sunday afternoon, they got ten minutes of exposure with their logo and their brand because there's a there's a service out there that looks at that. It looks at the driver uniform. It looks at the the banners and posters around the track. It looks at what's on the car. It looks at all these different things, and it gives them a time in which they've been in front of people's eyeballs. Okay? It has to be more than a single picture of, you know, so-and-so with a trophy and a rifle that's now on, you know, for sale Monday morning. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. If you want to be a pro sport, you have to do pro sport things. And I look at pro sports. I look at what's going on with this stuff. And I'm reading the articles and the things that tell me how Stephon Curry there got his endorsement with Under Armour. 
what NASCAR is doing to fix their failing ratings and how to keep their sponsors and things. Furniture Row shutting down. They won last year the championship. They don't have enough sponsorship and a championship team to maintain because the return on investment's not there. Martin Truex is a contender right now. He's a number one seed for NASCAR. They're in the playoffs right now. Ten, nine races left in the playoffs, right? He's the number one seed. His team is shutting down, guys. Now go to the level of what we're doing here. That's why NRL is doing it right. They combined with Border Wars. I saw that yesterday, right? They're pulling their resources together. This is a good match in series. This is a good match in series. Let's bring this together. Let's get exposure. Let's do all these different things. And it's a media company, Con-X Media. There's a clue there. Why is one doing better than the other? The people are the same. They came out of the same pool of shooters. Some shoot PRS, some shoot NRL, some shoot both, right? The match directors are pretty similar. They, the, the, the NRL are disgruntled PRS people. But they're doing better right now because they're a media company. They understand media and marketing. It's not that their matches and their people are different. It's their approach to the same old thing is slightly different. That's all. And that's my point. Like I said, it's not a dislike. I don't dislike you guys. I just disagree with what you're doing. I don't like seeing you go up, snatch a thing off the prize table, and sell it on Monday. Why? Because I talk to the companies. They don't like it. I don't like it. It's bad for business for all of us. That's it. You know what I mean? This expo that Phil Cashin put on was a good thing. He didn't have to invite me. You got Ryan Castle, Phil Cashin, and all those guys. They know that I have social media reach. Okay? For all I know, they gritted their teeth and invited Frank. I have no clue. um, Don't get me wrong. They're super nice to me. I'm not saying they did. I'm just making a, 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 you know, kind of a comparison. I don't know what, you know what I mean? I'm trying to make a point. Because I could be aggravating them to such a degree with some of my criticisms that they basically turned around and said, we're going to have the Precision Rifle Expo. Let's have Frank there. Grit our teeth, grin and bear it. Let him do his thing and he'll be nice. You know, whatever. It could be. I don't know their private conversation. They may have never had it. It may have been, Frank's doing good work. You're here. You're passionate. Come on over. That's what Phil says. That's what I go with. You know, but there's could definitely be two sides to that. And again, it's not personal. I'm not personally calling somebody out that way other than to say like Aaron, yeah, because him and I had a conversation back and forth and we admit we disagree. And and all I'm doing is using my platform to say it. I'm not trying to call him out in a way, but I'm just going, I don't like Facebook. I answered him at Facebook a little bit, but this is my platform. So anyway, that's my little rant. That's what I've been doing in the last two days. I really appreciated David Tubb coming on. Listen to the David Tubb episode if you didn't have to. There's nuggets there. there there's, there's stuff going on that's, that's moving the needle forward. But thank you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. I'm going to be getting together with Mike. We got the uh, 100th episode stuff sorted out. I know uh, uh, Chaz Bayless there from Warhorse Development uh, volunteered uh, Saracen bag and stuff. We got some other things going on through Mile High that's going to run the whole month of October for you guys. We got a deal going on. 
We got some return coming for you guys, giving back, okay, from, from mile high. Because they recognize. They're saying, hey, man, these guys are doing this. These people are listening, responded. You guys are calling Mike. You're buying stuff. You're talking to him. You know, 303-255-9999. You're making use of that number. They're going to give back to you guys for doing it. They're going to say thank you. And that's what it's about. It's, 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 it's us working together. All right, guys, thank you. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Have a great week. And we will talk to you in a couple days.